0: Hello lovelies, welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies, and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy hello everyone welcome back to the fat joy podcast i am sophia and i have doctora monica peralta i love that i get to roll my r's saying your name um so i was introduced to monica through a mutual friend who said you have to talk to monica and then i and then monica i checked you out and i was like oh this is amazing the work that you're doing um, so I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to allow you to tell people what it is that you do in the world and where in the world you are.
1: Hello, everyone. Hello, Sophia. I'm so glad to be here. And I mean, I'm a fan of your podcast. So Thank you. this is a lovely invitation. I'm a physician I'm certified in mindful eating and body liberation. I have a postgraduate degree in nutrition and diabetes. And my focus on nutrition is through mindful eating and intuitive eating that I'm certified with I.e. pro counselor. I'm a non-weight centric approach. I'm a doctor who doesn't work around weight. Weight is not a behavior. So I work through behaviors, changing behaviors. Health, it's not determined by a number in a scale or it's not determined on opinion base. So I work through changing behaviors that can actually bring you health and that can change or cannot change your weight. At the end, that's not my goal, as I said. Um, I do have some advocacy work that involves raising awareness with scientific evidence and have waited on, how, on how weight stigma and fat phobia affects health because stigma, discrimination, oppression do affect um, individuals' health. So, you know, everyone is, is so worried about fat people's health. So, I'm, OK, so let's focus on these three things and then we can provide a healthy environment to everyone because weight stigma and fat phobia does not only affect fat people, because when you have all this social pressure and all this systemic oppression, I think people are going to get affected, too, because they have to live up to that standard. So that's my activism in social media. And also, you know, just talking about diabetes and nutrition from a non-weight-centric approach. And that's, you know, during direct patient care, I try to provide the safest space that I can and just listen to everyone experiences because you know the books are out there the science is out there but you don't need you know studies to know how fat people can affect
0: yeah monica you do so much good and i one of the reasons i was excited to talk to you was that um as i was saying before we start recording i've never actually met an actual physician or gone to one in canada Um, who had any type of weight neutral approach. Like it is still so not commonplace here. So um, you bringing a bit more of a global perspective is something that I'm very interested in diving in with you about. And we're gonna talk all about diabetes because diabetes for any fat person listening, I bet i won't say a hundred percent but i'm gonna bet like 99.7 percent of people who are fat have been threatened with diabetes by a doctor before have been told by their family they're worried about them getting diabetes they've internalized that and feel like oh gosh i feel dizzy i feel thirsty do i have diabetes like we get really diabetes is like the fat person's disease and it we're just constantly threatened buy it all the time and so I'm very excited to dive into this with you Monica but before we do I'm so curious about what your relationship and your journey with the word fat has been
1: well you know I had a very privileged childhood I'm gonna say because the weight wasn't a conversation in my household it wasn't never about my weight but Now that I'm a deconstructed person and I've been to therapy, I can relate the pressure that my family put on me when I was very young to excel in every academic assignment that I had because they knew somehow that because living in the body that I had, I've always been fat and uh, precious little times that I've been thin, it's because I've been engaging with... uh, conducts that are harming. So let's make that clear. I've always been fat and I'm going to be fat my whole life. That's just how my body is. But well, going back to the excellence. So my family was always about you got to be excellent in whatever you do. You got to be the best. There's n- not another path for you that to being a doctor. And I think that, oh, it
0: was even you had to be a doctor.
1: Yes, a doctor or a, an architect or our engineer, which are the three most common careers here in Nicaragua, where I'm based, because I didn't say that uh, at the beginning. I'm based in Nicaragua, which is in Central America, between Honduras and Costa Rica. So there was always this, you know, demand. And I think it's because they knew things were going to be hard for me. There there were going to be harder. And I had to fight harder for the same opportunities than thin people, because thin, thinness is a privilege, whether we want it or not, because society benefits them in every way possible. So now I can attach that to the demand of excellence. And also I realized that once I became a doctor, um, and then I went to, I have a seven years practice now because I graduated in 2015 and then, you know. That wasn't working for me. Uh, my my practice wasn't working for me. I didn't feel good prescribing
0: what I knew.
1: It's not gonna work
0: because I've tried it myself. Yeah, do you mean specifically around weight loss or other stuff, other interventions? Around as well, everything
1: you know around weight loss, around general care. I mean, because in medicine, somehow everything is attached to weight loss. So all the behaviors got an up in weight loss. You know, that, that's like the final result. And I've tried everything. I mean, when I said everything, do, do we have time? Because oh, I, let's list. I've, <laughs> and I've uh, drink so many hideous things and take pills and do procedures. I did everything you can name. And I was able to get here in Nicaragua to, be thin. So I was, you know, like, what am I doing? Like I took an oath, this is not working and I've lost and gained the same eighty pounds, because that's my JoJo weight. The same eighty pounds. But that was reinforced because when people saw me thin, they were like, Oh my God, you're such a good example for your patients. you know that means what you do is working and they're gonna be healthy and Deep down, I knew I wasn't being healthy because, I mean, I couldn't eat outside. I couldn't go to a party. I was, you know, bringing my food to a baptism. I mean, I remember that. And I was like, damn, I was afraid to eat in front of people because, oh, my God, what what they're going to say, like I'm supposed to be on a diet and I want, you know, fucking bread. I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) just give me the fucking bread. (laughs) <laughs> I want a pasta. I don't. I want rice. I don't want cauliflower rice. That it's not rice, fellows. Please. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm with that's, you. <laughs> that's a lie. So it was like, how can I keep profiting from something that is not even working for me? So uh, how the hell am I gonna say to someone, "Hey, this is the way to go," uh, and if you are not doing it, or if you are not getting the results I'm getting? Well, that's your fault. Am I not supposed to be the doctor? Am I not supposed to have the solutions and the healthy ways for you to achieve your goals? I mean, yes, I'm the doctor, but the goals are yours. You know, I'm just, a meaning meeting to an end. I can provide you the information. So I stopped for a while and I just was like, okay, I gotta think. And that's a privilege too, you know, Taking a time, um, it affects your economy.
0: Like you stopped your practice? Yes, I stopped
1: my practice.
0: And at this point, had you known about fat liberation or anything?
1: I was starting. Just starting, okay. Yes, yeah, starting, yeah. Yes. starting because they, uh, we were in the pandemic. So it was the TikTok boom, and somehow TikTok knew I was ready to a change. I don't know. I mean, God bless TikTok. But somehow um, TikTok knew I was bored still. And then, well, I, I listened to some, um, fat activism, race discrimination, how feminism is attached. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And why am I not in this? So I began to read and invest as hell. And that's a really important point that I want to touch that this is an investment, that I am 100% clear that it's a privilege. First of all, taking a break from your practice because you don't have an income. As I said before, the diet industry is a very good business. I mean, billions and billions of dollars alone in the USA. And when you say it, you have the key to weight loss, patients are going to come. I mean, like flies to food. So that's the second privilege, and the third is that you have to make an investment in knowledge. Yes, I went to medical school. Yes, I have already for that time. I already got my post, my two postgraduate degrees. So I knew that centric approach, that way centric approach. I knew that framework, but it wasn't working. So I have the knowledge, but what can we change? So there goes the second investment. You know, there are certifications, there are other studies, there are the, the subscriptions to your journals and, you know, um, being able to access to all of these studies because these studies are there. I mean, people love numbers and statistics and, and all of that. And I love it too. I mean, I'm a doctor. So, but you know, the papers cost money. <laughs> And that's something people don't realize. So it was a whole of an investment. So, and also you have fear. I, I mean, I live in a country, as I said, in Central America, which is, you know, the common Latin America. Oh hey, my fatty, how are you? You know, that's all Latin America. Latin American, like, um, oh my God, you look so fat. Like you look way thinner before oh my gosh and those comments are very very normal and very common and if you fight back if you have an answer oh my god this crystal generation
0: oh crystal generation i've never heard of that like breakable crystal yes like because they can say anything to you
1: because you're gonna break down
0: Oh, that's so interesting because you're not as hard
1: as they were in their generation. They're like
0: the diamond generation or something?
1: I don't I fucking call generation because, you know, they're born. And so they're always like, oh, you can handle, you know, a little joke. And I mean, it's not a joke. You're not you don't know what am I going through. You don't know if I have, um, I don't know, an eating disorder. You don't know if I'm engaging with behaviors that are not healthy and you Telling me that I'm fat, that I'm thinner, it's just you know making me engaging more with those behaviors, and that's not in American culture. And you don't, you're not gonna talk back to your aunt, to your grandma, so you just gotta keep silence. And and if you fight back, well, you're not gonna be invited to the next barbecue. So I've been exploded.
0: <laughs> There's a no win. Yeah, no,
1: you're not gonna win. I mean, you can tell them because I, I sometimes think people want fat people to go around life with the labs. You know, like I want to make a t-shirt of myself with all my labs, my glucose, my cholesterol, everything. And I'm like, hey, I'm good. Thank you for worrying for my
0: health. I'm good. Right. And just wear your blood test results. on or, or in a chain. I don't know. Let's, let's go as a dog on this. Like, I don't know. And here's the thing too, I totally get that because I'm, I'm very privileged to have no action, no, like my blood work is perfect. I've got no issues with cholesterol or triglycerides or any of that. And at the same time, healthism exists, right? And so even if I did have high cholesterol or high triglycerides or whatever, it still wouldn't mean that I'm not worthy of respect Right. So healthism gets in there, too, with all of that. It's like, prove to me that you're like marginally OK as a fat person because you don't have any health problems. It's like, well, but what if I do have health problems and I do need health care? Does that that makes me like a bad fat person suddenly? Like, it's very insidious how it gets in there. Yes. And because of healthism, even if you're healthy right now, they're going to say, well, yet you're not sick yes that's it well you must be pre-diabetic oh yes oh Uh, my god everyone is pre-diabetic who is fat that doesn't even exist you know please oh my god okay we are gonna we're gonna come back to this because i have i've been reading and hearing about that that is all just fucking made up this whole pre-diabetic thing is made up
1: inflict fear that's it because it's a death sentence to to everyone and as as you were saying you know good and, and bad fat so I always say that I was a good fat because I I, I always was trying to lose weight. Uh, I was always counting calories, you know, checking my portions, my all these applications that are shit. So I was a good fat. You know, now that I've worked on myself and my practice and everything, I'm a bad fat. And I don't deserve respect. I don't, I'm don't. i not worthy of people' respect and uh, I just want to make something clear. It doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you're healthy. If, I don't know, if you're tall, you're short, you're black, you're white. I mean, it doesn't matter whatever characteristic you, you have. You deserve respect because you're a human being. I mean, that's
0: the end. You know, period, time, close that door. I will never understand why that is so hard for so many people to understand.
1: And the question is, I mean, you don't know any thin people that are sick because I want that same energy when thin people goes to the hospital and they get sick, they are costing money to the public system. They are costing money. You know, so, okay, so you can spend money on them, but when I go to the public system and I pay the same taxes as they do, I'm not worthy.
0: Cause you did it to yourself, Monica, you chose to be fat.
1: Yes, I I didn't know I was on my mother womb making my ABN and my biology. I mean, I knew I wasn't smart, but not that smart. And that's genius. (laughs) know. Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) So, so you, so pandemic hit, you're doing this research, you're diving deep, you're taking classes, you're kind of going through your like fat liberation awakening, I guess, or deepening consciousness. How, so then what did you do with your medical practice? How did that start to shift your practice? So I certified in mindful eating,
1: body liberation and body trust and intuitive eating because because I'm a woman, you know, misogyny exists and when you're fat is worst. So I got to make sure I hold those degrees because sometimes people think I just roll out of bed and say, okay, I'm done making an effort. I'm done having willpower. You know, I'm just gonna fat liberate me. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, like I just woke up and the sun shined on me and I said, let's be a happy fat kid. You know, and it, it didn't happen like that. It was hours of crying, hours of forgiving myself and actually writing a letter to my patients telling them how sorry I was.
0: You did?
1: I did, because I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do it and tell them, I know this sounds crazy, like because I know how people are. So I said, you know, this sounds crazy. But I got to say that. And now I'm going to work within this framework. But I'm sure you are going to be hesitant about it. And I can totally understand if you don't wanna go through this road, but I just want to say I'm sorry because I know how I made you feel because it's how I've been my mate. I've been making me myself feel feel like that. So I just wrote that letter and sent it. Wow, I received so many mails back, you know, positive ones. Of course, I received negative ones and. And like people saying, no, you just lose faith. You just, and then that I, I didn't have any willpower. But the positive ones were like, okay, let's change together. Or you know what? Okay, thanks God, because I, I, I wasn't able to keep this up. So let's do this new. I've tried everything already on a diet industry. So why not one more thing? And apparently, or finally, this was. The last thing, so a healthy living, you know, just a more uh, fulfill lifestyle.
0: I'm just so in awe, Monica, right now that like I don't even have words for how much it means that a doctor would write to their patients and say, "Hey, I was wrong." Like, talk about breaking power systems with that letter because doctors have so much power. I think this is part of the real challenge. Doctors in medical school get taught a certain way, then they're given a white coat, and then every patient who walks in basically views what they say as like the only truth. And I, I grew up in a medical family. I worked, my dad was a surgeon. So like I, and I worked in his office. I was like the medical secretary. And like, I would see how people would believe everything. <laughs> that he said, and my mom's a physio and they would believe everything she said. So there's like immense power. So for a doctor to be like, all right, everyone, we're switching gears, we're, we're gonna do a pivot and here's the reasons why. That is like, that brought tears to my eyes when you said you did that because what a gift to people.
1: I mean, I owe them, you know, I, I saw it like that. I owe them and I owe them to my, you know, I, Oh, to myself because that was the only reivindication I needed and I didn't know at that time if I gonna be able to
0: support myself like would all your patients leave you is that the that was the worry yeah yes
1: yeah. I couldn't uh, I mean I couldn't imagine what was gonna happen but I said I, I don't care if I have to do something else beside you know my practice you go be an architect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to go and do something else, a career. And I, and I actually, you know, did some a small business business beside my practice because, I mean, I, will, I was 100% sure that patients were not going <laughs> to flew into my practice because it's like every time I have someone on my Instagram or on my WhatsApp or my email, telling them, telling me, hey, um, I want to lose weight, you're a nutritionist, can you help me out? And first I was like, I don't work with weight loss, I'm sorry, I work with behaviors. But then I realized, because you know, this is a long way to go, that people are always, you know, like when, when you say you, you want to go through weight loss or all of that, people are treated treated like bad. You know, like you gotta do this, and if you don't do this, you are lacking of willpower. You are not disciplined enough. So I said to myself, okay, these people have been rejected through their whole whole life. These people have been, uh, you know, violently <laughs> treated, and okay, so I'm not gonna just say no and close the door. So. I did something and I still do it, that I have a 15 minute meeting for free where I explain how can we work, but I make it clearly you know that weight it's not the weight loss, it's not the goal. We can change biomedical markers. We can change behaviors. Health is determined by more than a 300 determinants. Some of them, you can change them, you can modify them, other ones are going to be what they are. You cannot change
0: ADN biology. Right? I just want you to say that again, because this is something that is not understood that the diet industry does not want us to know. So there are over 300 determinants of health, some of which we can control, some of which we can't. and. Would you say, because what we're always told is like food and exercise is all that's needed. Do, are those only two out of the 300? There are two out of
1: 19% of the 300s. It's very, very minimal. I mean, things as your environment are bigger than food and exercise. And you know what? Exercise has a lot of more benefits from you than weight loss. Because sometimes when you say to people, oh, I'm, I'm a non-white centric um, doctor. So they're, they're like, oh, she's just going to tell me that I can eat pizza every day, the whole day. And I'm like, if you feel the urge to eat pizza every day, the whole day, it's because you have been restricting yourself. Because no patient has come to me and said to me, Monica, I feel the urge to binge in some broccoli. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I need a cauliflower (laughs) right now. (laughs) Give me some zucchini. I cannot live without my zucchini. No one, no one has said that to me. Why? Because vegetables are healthy, because they are a lot. So the more more you restrict yourself, the more you're going to want those food. So We work on that, you know, that in in intuitive eating, it's called a honeymoon phase. And the big question is always how long is going to last? And my answer is always like, how long have you been on a diet? How long have you been dieting? So don't worry about how long is the honeymoon phase going to last because you have been given time to diet. So you're going to give time to this. And it's the same in diabetes. I mean, When you work in a non-weight centric approach in diabetes, people think that you're not going to control glucose or it picks or everything. And yes, you are going to control it. Diabetes, it's an illness, but it doesn't define you. You are not the diabetes. I mean, I hate the word diabetic because I think um, as obesity and overweight they are, they have some stigma and they are death sentence to everyone. So you're a person, you're a human being who has this condition that you can work. And it's not going to be through restriction. It's going to be through nutritional education because no one knows more about nutrition and macronutrients diachronic a di- dieter. I mean, chronic dieters, we know everything,
0: everything. I mean, calorie counts, carb counts, everything, everything. Yeah. But we only know
1: and use that knowledge to restrict But What about if we use that knowledge to inflate in how our body responds to the food so we can maintain the glucose where we want it? OK, so I know, you know, carbohydrates and protein and fats and calories and everything, but do you know actually how to combine them or instructions on how to eat it? You know, like in what order you don't have to skip dessert because you are diabetic. The only reason for you to skip dessert is because you're a fool. And right. you don't want dessert.
0: <laughs> I thought you said because you're a fool. And I'm like, you are a fool if you skip dessert. No, I'm just kidding. But because you're full. Yeah. So can we, so let's, so let's talk about diabetes. So there's, so I also was reading recently that the, even the distinction between type one and type two diabetes is mostly artificial as well. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? I think they relate that because of the origins, because
1: um, in Latin America, we say, that one type is hunger, when you have everything, and the other one is you don't have hunger and you have everything. But you have to make that distinction because, you know, the treatments are different. But what it doesn't exist, I mean, I know it's a common use and everything, but prediabetes, it's not a thing. And it only has been popularized because the association of diabetes say, said. Um, So we need a term for people who are almost there, but not there. And it's actually not um, um, considered by the WHO, by the World Health Organization. They haven't accepted yet. So this is something only of the association of diabetes.
0: And did they do that because when someone's, I guess, is this the A1C levels? Is it the blood sugar levels? So when those get high enough, not quite to count as diabetic, but high enough, they made that n- phrase pre-diabetic in order to trigger something, like to trigger some type of treatment, or is it, uh, is it tied with pharmaceutical companies? Like, why would they have made that? Because
1: they have to, you know, make yourself have fear of being fat, when you're a thin person and they tell you, oh, you have pre-diabetes, oh my God, I cannot get any more fatter. And when you're fat, you got to lose weight because you are in that range where the things can go really, really wrong. But the thing is that that range is determined by many factors, um, biology, and um, you know, if you have someone in your family on first degree that had diabetes or that is currently with diabetes, you're gonna be more, you know, exposed to that. But what are the chances you actually develop diabetes? Two percent.
0: What? Two percent of all people who are quote unquote diagnosed with pre diabetes or being pre diabetic
1: wow and if you you know if you work with changing the behaviors and the habits of people you're
0: not gonna even get to that two percent and here's what's so interesting what i'm hearing in there and what i can imagine that happens is so let's just we'll just use me as an example so i go to the doctor they say oh you're pre-diabetic you need to and then they say you need to lose weight right so that you don't become fully diabetic so you don't become a person with diabetes so then what happens for a fat person is you're told that then you think oh my god my health is at stake i'm gonna die because the doctor basically told me and now you start to weight cycle so you go on a crash diet you start to lose weight then of course because dieting does not work restriction does not work then you gain weight so you actually end you I imagine there's a percentage that you end up, it becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. You respond to this pre-diabetic diagnosis and then you wait cycle until, cause I don't know but I think this is true for a lot of people, certainly for, true for me, every time I restricted and lost weight, I would gain back all the weight plus more. And it just goes up and up and up and up. So like it's it creates it. There's a
1: famous society that is from O'Hara that it says that 95% of people that goes on diet, they're gonna regain the weight. And they call these 5% of people that they don't, unicorns, or that you don't know how they kept the weight off. So people don't realize how, how weight cycling and jojo dieting, it causes more harm than good. Every time you go on a diet, because we have this, um, I don't know if you know about set point, the theory of set point. So every, go, every time you go on a diet, that say, that set point, it's going to get higher and higher and higher. So I'm sorry, but diets are making you fatter. Yes.
0: I also, yeah. One way I've heard it said is the, the greatest predictor of weight gain is attempted weight loss. I'm like the poster child for this. I, God, Monica, I, I'm so frustrated. Like, I really wish I had known this back in my teens. But because, like, again, I don't think I'm unique. I think so many of us started dieting. I was binge eating since I was 12. I have binge eating disorder. And my weight just went up and down, up and down. And then every time it went up, it was up a little more. I, I, I gained and lost the same 100, 150 pounds over and over and over again. And every time it was like, oh... 80, oh, gain 90, lose 90, gain 110, lose 110, gain 150, until I finally stopped. But that was like 150 pounds later. Like, because I'm an overachiever, Monica. <laughs> we, are, we all are. <laughs> but because, I mean,
1: you're always going to gain 15 to 10 more pounds because your body is uh, well well oil machine and he's going to be like, girl, I don't know where you're going to go again on this roller coaster and you are keeping me hungry and I'm going to have my storage. Uh, you know, like, because uh, dieting is an <clears throat> inanition, you know, for the body. So the body thinks they are in like a war situation. I don't know if you know about Minnesota studies. The starvation studies? Yes, the starvation. The day after the restriction, they ate almost 10,000 calories. They were more interested in recipes, in, in cooking shows. And that's, that, I mean, that was in the 50s, you know? And that's just the same. Because I remember when I was on these dieting cycles, I loved to cook. And until these days, I love to cook because I got so good at, because I always wanted to switch ingredients for low calorie ingredients. Yes. So, you know, I had to, I don't know, change everything. 100 calories wasn't enough. So when you're restricting yourself, you're always going to be thinking about food. Diets are making you more harm than good. Diety, diets are supposed to be this key to health, and it's not. Weight cycling is a slowing your metabolism. It's, got, it's making you a risk factor for more cardiovascular diseases. Mm. So it's not only about there you're gonna be fatter, and I know that people is afraid of that because of course it's the worst, who wanna be treated badly. Some people know about that treatment, they just don't do anything about it because it's not affecting them yet, and they don't want to get to that point. But the more you diet, the more consequence you have, um, the more risk factors you have to be affected by endocrine diseases.
0: So that's so interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I wish we, this was so much more public knowledge, which again is why we're doing a podcast about yes, it. That's what we say
1: in science, correlation and causation, it's not the same. You know, jello teeth has been related to lung cancer. Does everyone that has jello teeth are gonna develop a lung cancer? No, some people just have bad mouth hygiene. Bold men are more tend to have a cardiovascular disease. Every bold man have a cardiovascular disease no and we're not going around asking them no no but fat people and diabetes oh i mean why you don't have your lap in your shirt <laughs> like i need to see that glucose infested. <laughs> prove to me prove wow. to me that you're healthy i mean still because of course you're gonna get sick you know because you're fat
0: yeah yeah so how do you begin because i mean I, again the biggest challenge i think for fat people believing this to be true as well as everyone else believing it to be true is that people literally just, we've been told so often that we, we just believe it. We believe it now. Yeah, fat people get diabetes. So how do you begin with your clients? How do you begin to break apart that belief? Because I imagine that just goes so deep.
1: So they already have a diagnosis. You know, from another doctor, I like to revise the whole clinical history because sometimes doctors are getting lazy and they don't ask enough. They just see the patient and they're like, "Okay, fat, gl- high glucose, bye, diabetes."
0: Oh, that's it.
1: Yeah, sometimes people are just like that. You know, like, okay, so this is a fat person who has uh, high glucose in one test and that everyone say alter, oh yes, this is diabetes, but you don't know the conditions that this exam was made. So if it was a stress-free zone, it was a hard week for the patient. Does the patient have had any situation recently of a stress, of loss, of grieving, all this, things, alter glucose. It does? Yes. As stress and alter your glucose.
0: Interesting. And so they would basically be what? Prescribed insulin and just start to live with a chronic illness that they might not even have. And you're not going to question the doctor. No, this is the other problem. Oh my God, there's so many layers,
1: Monica. <laughs> you're not going to question him. He's saying that and besides if you're fat, you earn it. So it's your fault. But what about if we say it like, okay, you have this condition, like you could have had any condition, and everyone can have diabetes. Everyone. There is no a disease or an illness that it's only for one type of body. That doesn't exist until this day. Yeah. <laughs> until this day that it's been recorded. But, so, okay, you know, if you're a patient, you can, you can, and you should ask your doctor, okay, I am a diabetic. What will you say if uh, I were a thin person? Yes. And he will say, "Um, well, thin thin people, you know, they don't usually have diabetes. And you're going to be like, okay, let's, for a minute, Imagine we live in Alice Wonderland and thin people have diabetes. What will you say? Will you respect them still? Will you give them a dignified treatment? Will you educate them instead of just saying do this, do this, do this, and this is the way goal? Right. Because when you set unattainable goals, that is only going to cause stress in your patient. And when patients don't get that goal that in the first, in the first place you knew wasn't unattainable, they're going to get discouraged. Right. Right. And that's another cycle. You know, you don't get what you want. You go down the rabbit hole. You're going to try it one more time. You don't get it. And, but let's break that cycle. You need nutritional education. You need to know what are going what what food what nutrients you need. Do you need to restrict carbohydrates? No, y- your brain needs carbohydrates. That's your fuel. You're not gonna give a Tesla diesel, so you're not gonna give yourself a plate without carbohydrates. okay If you are a gas car, you're gonna get gas. So baby girl, you are a Ferrari, you know, (laughs) you are a Porsche and you need that gas, you need that fuel, but you can learn ways to combine them with some protein, with some fiber. And also people are so disconnected of their satiety, you know, and inner cues that sometimes I I have, I've had patients that i i asked them okay so you were hungry when you ate all, all of this like you know like in a binge episode i wasn't i was bored okay so what can we do what tools can we implement when you're bored rather than eating all hungers are emotionals for me you know i know that um by both, uh in the science, we have seven hungers, but I think all the hungers are emotional because all, all hungers have this emotional component. So let's treat that. And as a diabetic person, you have to have the knowledge to be able to stop, listen to your body, and give your body what it needs. The way you have been retaught. In, in the practice to combine these foods. If you go out and you're extremely hungry, you're gonna, I mean, you're not gonna think twice before ordering all this food. What about if you know that you're going out at 7 p.m., let's have on a snack, you know, before going out. Are you hungry? You're not that hungry. How do you feel when you eat so much? Or how do you feel when you eat these particularly foods? Because sometimes people, you know, food addiction doesn't exist. So let's make that clear. Food addiction doesn't exist. But sometimes people think, I'm addicted to pizza. I'm addicted to pasta. I'm addicted to all these so-called bad foods. You are not addicted to them. You have been restraining yourself for them. That's the appeal. Restrict yourself from vegetables and fruits. You're going to be craving for them <laughs> I mean you are you want yeah. a tomato
0: yeah <laughs> or cauliflower rice um <laughs> Monica can I ask you about insulin so when you work with clients so let's say they do actually so here's what I'm hearing so let me just set this up it sounds like if someone comes to you and they say I've been diagnosed with diabetes it sounds like you do A deeper dive into their history you i imagine you probably do some additional testing given what you said about they could have had stress that could have raised their a1c levels or could have been other things going on so you kind of like confirm that yes they do indeed have those levels and then from there you teach them about nutrition so they can understand their own kind of rising and falling glucose and how it works within their body do you do they still need insulin then like how did what's the role of insulin how did do, what does it play
1: you know medicine um, pills insulin they are the only thing we can thank the pharmaceutical industry because you are taking a pill or you're taking insulin it doesn't mean you have fail it doesn't mean that all your behavioral changes are not doing something. But insulin resistant and diabetes is a condition, a physiological condition. Insulin is the key for the cells. So imagine you are in a residence and all the people who lives in the residence are outside and their control key, control key doesn't work. That's insulin.
0: Oh, okay.
1: The people that are inside the houses, which are cells, they don't know what's happening and why people cannot go inside. That is because insulin cannot open the door. So energy cannot go inside. That's physiology. So you have to take some medicine. Can you go off medicine after some time? After some time with these behavioral changes, maybe, maybe we can lower the dose. That would be the goal, but we don't have goals. We want to treat what is right now happening. And right now you're having this problem. So I cannot focus on something that is not even happening yet. And that goes to everything. I mean, if you're going to go around life worrying about everything that could happen you're not gonna live and, you, and you're gonna be stressed and stress raises the cortisol which raises the allostatic charge which give you diseases so fat people are getting more diseases than thin people because they are so under so much stress or because they are fat you know sometimes people like they don't relate as stress or the weight stigma the weight discrimination we go through with our diseases during the pandemic there was you know a huge wave of hate for the fat community because we were costing the, the money the system so much money and because fat people doesn't deserve a ventilator because they did that to themselves So you got to give them to someone else and blah, 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 blah. And that just raised that weight bias. And there's actually proof, evidence, numbers that there are another biases that have gone lower
0: and weight bias have gone
1: higher. It
0: has, yep, yep. Yeah, that's the Harvard implicit bias test that has those results. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's really scary. And you're right, COVID, all of that, anti, ugh, I hate the O word, but the anti-obesity um, propaganda that was out there was just horrible. And, and there was never a proven. No, it wasn't
1: proven at all. It wasn't proven at all. But, and I always said, I always, 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 when I heard about that, I've always said, do you think people, fat people weigh more? before going to the hospital because they know how they're going to be treated so their illness is going to get worse because they're not seeking attention you know first time so if I'm a a fat person and I have I don't know a a pain in my abdomen and do I immediately gonna go to the hospital and seek for attention hell no Good, I'm gonna wait the more the merrier because I know how they're gonna treat me and there has been so many proven cases of misdiagnosis, even cancers, Yes. and people actually have died. So you don't need numbers. You gotta listen to fat people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Believe the stories that we're telling you. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I get so angry, you know? I get so angry. People are gonna see the video. I'm not gonna be just like punching the screen. Punch the screen, punch the screen. This is punch worthy. It's so frustrating. And here's the thing, I don't know. Like I know all of this, I I know all of this, speaking for myself and I still also wait because I just don't wanna fucking deal with having to try to educate my doctor. So I, <laughs> it drives my partner crazy because he's like, would you just go to the doctor? You're in pain. I'm like, nope, I, I will self heal. <laughs> and like, then I could become one of those statistics so easily because I know what I'm getting into. And I and I am going in with immense privilege. I'm white, I'm educated, I am, you know, very overconfident and will call a doctor on their bullshit and fight with them. But it's like, I still, like, it's just, the um, the amount of stress that we have to carry around on top of like, and having that impact our health and how that is totally ignored is just immensely frustrating. And diabetes is like such the perfect example of how that happens.
1: Diabetes, I think is the perfect example, as you said, of weight bias and fat phobia. Because when someone said, uh, so, when a fat person tells you hey you know what I went to the doctor because I was having these symptoms and you know I'm I'm a diabetic oh well of course Monica I mean what were you expecting or the other part when someone lose so much weight because of diabetes because losing weight is a symptom of diabetes
0: they get congratulated <laughs> yeah right and I mean, people actually say, oh my God, I wish I had that. I was just going to say, I used to wish to have a
1: disease. Let's talk about a sunpick. Thank you, Diet Culture, for making it a trend. And now, people who actually need it, they have to buy it. So expensive. Like, I think it's three or four more times
0: um, highly priced that, that it was. That's Novo Nordisk, by the way. That is the evil company, Novo Nordisk. Who has done that? You're able. To put your hands on some of something because people are, you know, putting that on their
1: bodies, and I'm like, do you know what you're doing? Like, do you know about hyperinsulinemia? That's a that's a condition, that is something that is affecting your body. So when people tell me weight loss is about health, maybe it's not. It's about aesthetics, and I get it. I'm not gonna blame you because I know the work it takes. But don't tell me for a second you care about fat people's health. Because you're always saying people who are fat are, have more diseases, but you gotta see the context. There's always so much more context and things you can see outside your own bubble and privilege. And, you know, internalized fat phobia, it's a thing. I've, I have a patient that told me there's no worst enemy. Than a fat person trying to lose weight to a fat person who is just living life, because they're gonna give you tips left and right. They're gonna say, "No, you gotta do this, you gotta do that." They are. They have medical degrees and everything. Yeah, (laughs) and I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" Because I was that person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody was asking me, and I was like, "You should have some light coke. You know, you don't have to stop having coke." But maybe you can have
0: diet coke. You have to stop having rice, but you can change it for cauliflower rice. Maybe you can park at the back of the parking lot and walk a little more, like as if. And that's a privilege because you're assuming I have a car, right?
1: And people talks from their privilege, and fat people doesn't have that many privilege. I'm sorry. It's just the truth, and if you as a fat person have a disease, it's 10, 10, ten times worse.
0: Oh, I know I was, I have endometriosis and I just came back from a surgeon who I've been waiting two years to see. And he basically said, well, this is a good news scan. Like the endometrioma hasn't adhered to any other organs. You're actually really great. But when you hit menopause, you're probably gonna die of cancer because of your obesity. He literally said <laughs> that to me, Monica, and I was like, Hang on, hold up. Are you telling me that every fat person with a uterus is going to die of endometrial cancer because of our fat cells? And anyway, we have a follow-up to, to continue this conversation. Can I write to that doctor
1: and, and, and just give him a studies and sources for that? You know, it, it is proven actually that OBGYN It's one of the most weight weight bias specialties in medicine.
0: A hundred percent. I've been going, I've had endo, I've been going through endo, not treatment, but like figuring out how to manage my symptoms for like two and a half years now. And I've been to multiple gynecologists and they have all been horrible.
1: And yes, and they're always going to be like fat cells, interleukins, cytokins. They love big words and everything. And there's actually a chart that was published that it, Oh, I, I don't like the old word either, but that obesity and overweight has a thousand factors that have to be taken on into function for you to have certain weight. I can share this. And if you look at it, it's, I mean, giant, it's not only because you ate too much because you didn't do exercise because then, I mean, there's fat people who exercise a lot, who is very, very healthy. And let's have an example as Lizzo. She's vegan, she's healthy. She gives performances for hours.
0: Hours. I saw her. If That's not the peak of health. I,
1: I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm sorry, but have you seen her? That woman with her um, flute. I think it's called. And- dancing and and with, all
0: the dancers who are fat too
1: like that's long capacity at its finest and she's still getting hate comments about oh you're such because you know they got to be oh, passive aggressive oh you're such a talented black woman and you have so much representation for us but only if you were thinner you you, you would be a great example for our kids what more of a great example you want from a successful person. I mean, let's not go far. Rihanna in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. She was the first pregnant woman doing a Super Bowl performance, and everyone just could talk about the belly. It's a pregnancy belly, it's a postpartum belly. Does she ate
0: before the concert? And it was like, really? That's what you kept on your mind? Not her talent, not that she was groundbreaking. I know. No, it was all about the belly. And it's also, you can translate that to diabetes and
1: fat people. They can tell you they're having the most healthy behaviors because they have learned so much, you know, um, going to a non-weight-centric doctor and talking about nutrition and understanding your disease. It's such an amazing tool that we take for granted because when you know about your disease, you're not afraid of it what you know what you can see you are not afraid of it and you know how to work with it you know like when you have a tv i always said this to my patient okay you buy a tv you don't throw out the instructions you're like okay this goes here this goes here this is happening you don't throw out the instructions So don't throw out all these education that we're gonna have we are gonna Reconnect, we're gonna rehabituate, we're gonna, you know, rewire <laughs> everything we know because now we have this. And maybe in the next years, we're gonna have another thing. I don't know. I don't have a fucking, you know, blue ball with all whatever's gonna
0: happen with you. Like, I don't know. Do you know what I just realized, Monica, that you're, what you're doing that is so powerful it just really hit me that unlike. I would say, in my experience, all doctors, but I would say a majority of doctors, you're not gatekeeping knowledge. Again, you're like dispensing with the power system. You're actually, yeah, helping your clients understand what's going on within their bodies, helping them become more embodied, becoming aware of their own sensations, learning how to work with their own body systems. Like, you're, you're not interested in keeping that from them just so that you can be an authority. And I'm not interested in keep them feeling guilty. You know,
1: tough love motivation, guilty motivation, it's not going to work. People are from a place of fear. People are not going to change. People are not going to change their behaviors for, from a place of fear. Or shame. Or shame, that's going to happen for a month, maybe two, but that's just another cycle. So if you want something that is, you know, sustained through your life, you have to be clear why you're making those changes. It's easy to go to a doctor and the doctor just said, hey, uh, this is your, res- your recipe. This is your insulin units. This is Go you have to lose 30 pounds before we meet again. Maybe that patient is not going to come back because they didn't lose the 30 pounds and then they're going to have a mistreatment. You know, their diabetes, it's going to get worse. Diabetes can get worse without the proper management and can develop in more serious problems. But somehow I think it's our fault as a health professional. You know, it's not because they're fat, it's because I'm a fucking fat phobic way to bias doctor that I'm just feeling them guilty, making them feel guilty. And I'm just saying, you have this, but what is this?
0: What is happening inside of me? It's because of me? What I, what did I do? I can I'm gonna make a guess. You tell me if I'm right. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that you hear a lot, but Monica, you're just saying that because you're fat
1: all day every day it's because
0: I have no more willpower it because I don't have more energy in me yeah so now you're just taking all this research and making it conform to your story does I love to spend my money on research
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yes because that's one of my favorite hobbies but it's not it's because I mean when people tell me that I'm like okay how many diets have you been on 13 and 14. Okay, I mean if diets work, why have you been doing them so much? If you buy a TV and it doesn't work, you go to the store and change it. You don't keep that TV. <sighs> or it's your fault because the TV doesn't work. No, it's the store fault. So the same as diets. If you wanna tell me weight loss can be maintained. There's no proven method of weight loss that can maintain
0: through your life. Not even bariatric surgery, which is people like, no, that for sure you go up. Yeah. I mean, and you're willing to lose some part of yourself
1: actually being cut off, but not be fat. You know, and why are you so afraid of being fat? Because you know how we are mistreated, but you keep putting that out there instead of, oh my God, you know what? Maybe I don't have to cut off half of my stomach and maybe I just can make some changes because yes, I'm a health professional. So I do care about health myself, you know, me, if I have a patient, I mean, it wouldn't be my patient because I mean, if you don't want to health like why will you go to a health professional? But health system has taught us that everyone wants to be healthy. We don't know that, and we shouldn't care about other people's wishes. Let people live. And if it's about the public health system, it's not that good, mate. You know, <laughs> so don't worry about it. It's, it's not going to get worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, and Monica, are you, did, did, I, did I get this right? Are you the only weight neutral, fat positive doctor in Nicaragua?
1: I will say yes. Okay. Yes.
0: It's is is that feel lonely? I lonely. Yeah. It's
1: a lonely place to be in. It. It's a hard place because it doesn't matter what I say or how many degrees I have. I'm always gonna be, you know, having fight back or push back, and because there's there's no another thin person saying that, so I'm always like in the defense, because I have to be, I'm not going to tolerate any disrespect in my page. I always want my page to be a safe place, but I also have the pressure to be, um, you know, like this example of health because, okay, you're saying you can be fat and healthy, but show me that health. So sometimes it's hard and I catch myself sometimes look like I'm having an ice cream and I want to, you know, it's just like put well, the ice cream and my stories and I'm, and I'm like, okay, wait, no, because people are going to think, you know, I'm not healthy. And then I'm like, what? What are you doing? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I put my fucking ice cream and that's it. I mean, haters gonna hate, yeah. if you are not feeling it Unfollow. I'm not in this to become an influencer. I'm not in this to be famous, popular, because I know that non diet approach is not going to get me there and I don't want it actually. But it's been lonely and it really, I think I've never said this before to anyone, it's sad because I know I'm going to die eventually not of being fat, people. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to die. And I know that I'm not going to see the change, you know, the actual change, like in universities, in, in continuing education. I'm not going to be able to see that. But I'm just happy that maybe I am paving the way for other, other folks to be like, you know what? She's not alone. Nobody has said it yet. But, you know, if it's, if it's working for one person, because I get so many DMs like, you know what? First time I bought a bathing suit and I'm going to wear it to the beach. And they send me pictures. And I don't post any of that because, you know, privacy matters. But I have so many DMs. And so I'm always like, you know what? It doesn't matter the hate I get. It doesn't matter if they think I'm promoting obesity, if they think I'm promoting promoting all this non stuff and they want to say I'm not an actual doctor and, and everything. It doesn't matter because it's making a change in some person's life that I don't even know because I mean, not everyone's going to write to me and say it, but I see my people just getting more open and like, okay, explain this better. So I've understand that I cannot be that upfront. You know, I am so I am upfront <laughs> and I'm like blah, 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 boom. But I have come to an understanding that I cannot be like that. So I'm just like slower. You know uh, moving slower but in that direction and i know that i'm in the right path and it took me a lot of money patience and and everything to get to that path and i'm not going back it doesn't matter how much hate and how much people can call me whatever they want i mean they call me um the fat loser because i didn't kept the weight off because as i told you before i've been on weight cycling and on diets. And actually, I started my Instagram page with my weight loss journey.
0: Ah, yes, yes.
1: So I was known here in my country as the before and after, as the perfect before and after. And I deleted everything, of course, you know, it was hard going through all of that. But it was you know, the same process as forgiving that Monica and the harm she was doing because I don't care about what people say. We are doing harm as health professional if we're only focusing on weight. You didn't go to medical school to seven through eight years to only learn weight loss. Nutrition is a five years career and you learn so much, not only weight loss. It it's also reductionist, you know. Yeah. Talk about weight loss. So I just come to the conclusion that I'm going to take the hate. And but what, what I was telling I, and I just went, um, is that I get sad because I do so much work outside my country. Yes. You know, like this podcast and ASDA and the opportunity with Amanda uh, for NYU alumni like. What that was like reaching for the star, just someone that Someone from NYU knew that I existed. Right? Yes. What?
0: But why not within your own country? You know? Yeah. So
1: it it saddens me that I know that I'm going to start crying. It saddens me that I'm doing all this work and I'm, I'm putting all this work out outside my country. But I cannot force people and I just come to an end with that. So, uh, of course, I still make my content and and everything. And and I'm going to keep my advocacy work and my activism. I'm not going to stop, as I said in my stories earlier. If you don't like this type of content, unfollow me. Do, Do yourself a favor and unfollow me. I don't need to hear your shit comments about me. You don't need to hear me. So just follow me. It's free, you know, in this recession that we are, it's the only thing free. (laughs) Do it. But it saddens me that I know that I can, you know, can maybe do it more, but I can not do more. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, I mean, mental health first, like I got to protect myself and I love my country, of course, and I want to do all the work, but people can be really harsh and, i think i'm just i'm okay with with getting the hate and getting all that pushback but sometimes i just wanna scroll down the rack and that's it it
0: takes a toll yeah it does i mean it's you're so right like there is a sadness i I think this is something that a lot of activists feel is that there's so much that is mm, that needs to be done. And it feels like this huge mountain. And we're just like <laughs> at base camp, we're just like trying to take some steps forward. And I can, I can feel the sadness of that and how you're not able to have the impact that you would love to have within your own country. I really, I feel that.
1: And also it's funny, <laughs> I'm gonna say, because I have, I have to laugh um, because they wanna, put my work into perspective because they're like, do you know someone in Nicaragua who has who has been with her or that she's that is healthy because it has been Monica's practice. And I'm like, mm, first of all, I don't have to give you my patient's list. And th- that's also, you know, the same point. It saddened me that I have my practice out there in so many countries that I've never been to you know and it's because of social media and all of these platforms like yours you know many people are going to listen to this and they're, they're going to be like oh where is she or something like that and that's how I uh, get patients and everything and then well do I wish that it would be as easy as getting here in Nicaragua well of course you know but well at least people are listening and, and seeing my content and starting to question the things. And that's a big step. As I said, I know that I'm going to be long gone until there's a, you know, change, actual change in the whole world. But well, I mean, in Nicaragua. But, you know, if my nieces are going to grow in a safer environment, I'm going to take that shit. Like, it's okay. I don't want kids. So I'm not leaving a safer place to my kids, but I'm leaving it to my nieces and nephews. And if my friends can live in a more judgment-free zone because I have to take hate and shit, bring it on. Uh, Like, I'm built for this. I have the personality, I have the attitude, I have the comebacks, baby. I have all (laughs) the comebacks. Like, you write me a mean comment, Sometimes I'm just gonna block you, but sometimes I want to be like, "Let's have some fun! Welcome to the rodeo! Like I'm gonna (laughs) eat you up!" Like that is so good. (laughs) Oh my god, you don't know how much fun I have. Like it keeps me young because you know you have to laugh. You do because they're ridiculous. The comments are. I would be sad the whole time, so I'm just like, "Welcome to the rodeo. We're gonna have some fun." And then when I quote science and everything, they're like, Oh, you, you made that up. And I'm like, um, this is at the actual NHS, you know, yeah, the one you yeah. love." the who, what? I mean, it's different from yours. Yes. But they're out there. So it's funny. It's for me, it's just keeping me young. And of course I have bad days, you know, like every activist. And sometimes I, I take things personally, but for me, it's just, you know power to my brain I, I like i think i'm not i'm never gonna get a t- get Alzheimer get Alzheimer because i keep my brain moving so fast because of the, all of all the combats that i have to give but i think my brain is so well wired and oil that if i get Alzheimer it's because of my family and i'm gonna blame them i'm gonna blame biology because
0: i'm replying to comments left and right wow good for you i just delete i'm like i don't have time i not that I don't have time but i just i feel like i'm very um if people are not bringing any curiosity or open-mindedness i'm not interested in talking to them
1: it's valid it depends on the date it depends on the day as i said and it also i learned that the more they comment the more visibility i get so I'm like, hey, thank you for giving me money. I, I I sometimes reply like that. Hey, thank you for making my post viral through your hate comment. So you do laugh
0: at people. They're just in the closet. Oh my gosh. Okay, I I need to schedule time with you so you can teach me how to have good comebacks because I just feel like fuck you, and then like that that gets nowhere. Like that's so more than enough though. I need. <laughs> I need better comebacks. Um Monica, and I want to I want to ask you about joy because we've started to talk about it a little bit. How do you choose joy? I mean, we've just been talking about how you know, doing this work is very challenging and it has a huge impact. So how do you take care of yourself? How do you turn towards joy? I
1: think I've become a master of finding joy in everything little. I lost my brother um, five years ago because of cancer. And when he passed away, he was 18. And I thought there was no future. You know, I thought, I mean, I saw him struggling so much. And just, oh my, I, I don't know. I don't know anyone who wanted to live more than him. And he went through so many procedures and surgeries and everything just to be alive, that from that moment on, I don't know why I'm still alive. You know, I mean, I'm like in that moment, I didn't know like why not me? Because I think that's always a question like why him and why not me? Because he was younger. He was, he has, he had his whole life, um, before him. So from that moment on, just waking up for me, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't die. You know, and being able to do the work I do. And I don't want to have a white savior complex, but, you know, just to being able to change a little bit, one uh, percent of your thought about fat people, or of how weight bias or weight stigma on fat phobia, if I can just make you stop for a minute and rethink what were you, what you were gonna say, that's for me that's joy. For me to be able to put my content out there to help people to do this podcast to get the message out there, I mean for me that's joy, and I have my self-care practices because I've learned to love myself. This is the only body that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. And this beautiful body have gone through moments that I thought I wouldn't make it to so much things this body has got me through, even when I didn't want to. <laughs> so just taking care of it and give it, you know, the fuel that it needs and the movement, the pleasure of movement. I mean, since I've been in this journey and I changed my whole mm, focus and paradigm, I didn't know you could enjoy exercise. I mean, you can go with a smile to the gymnasium. You can wear crop tops and leggings and you don't have to hide yourself. That's joy, you know. And sometimes now I dance my whole life. I wanted to dance and my whole life I was told I was too fat. So you cannot be in a dance club. And now I am in the place that I can pay for private lessons. So I go and I dance and I kept it, I kept it a secret for one year because I wasn't ready, you know, just because I knew comments were going to come. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe. There's out there some little fat Monica who wants to dance, and she's been told that she can't because she's fat. And actually, and then I posted a reel, and actually, I got a message from like hundreds of people like, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm gonna go spinning. Because I've been told that I cannot because I don't have the long resistance. Or thin people telling me, like, I cannot believe you just put up that reel. Like, I am in a thin body and I wouldn't be able to post that. So that's joy for me. And in that's another example on how weight stigma and fat phobia affects thin people. Because even thin people are afraid, you know, they're never going to know how... Hard is the systemic oppression with stigma, with bias and fatphobia. it's a systemic oppression it's not a fight against thin people because I've been told that I hate thin people because I envy them. Baby, it's not about you. This is bigger. this is about a system. I know you think the world rolls around you and I love that for you, but this is about a system. This is about an oppression a systematic oppression and that's joy The knowledge I have now for me, it's pure fucking joy. It's like, damn, girl, you know that. Because after medical school, I was like, my brain is fried. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to learn anything else. After this, girl, I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's joy
0: oh pure fucking joy monica you're pure fucking joy this has been such a good conversation oh i just i'm so glad that you're doing this work and that you're sharing it and um yeah you're you're having a huge influence like the fact that we're even talking is an indication of like what you're doing and how it's just spreading and becoming so you know because I heard about you from someone I heard about you from someone like you're doing it that ripple effect is happening I was like this amazing
1: girl (laughs) is in Canada (laughs) like I'm not even in the same time zone and it's always amazing you know and it's I assure you it's not because you know fame fame or anything it's like my message my yeah. sayings, I don't know. My, I'm starting the conversation, and I'm not the only one. There's so many people out there. So I'm just like, girl, we're doing something. Like, yeah, I'm not right. talking to a wall. And sometimes, yeah. I, I, you know, it gets lonely, as I said, but I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Absolutely. We all, fight activists, are just going to keep our work, and people are going to. Just have to deal with it or jump on board or
0: stay on our (laughs) lane, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Monica. It's been so wonderful to chat with you. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Doctora Monica Peralta is fiercely advocating for her patients and their right to weight inclusive care. I loved how she talked so much about connecting people to their deeper understanding of their own body systems, connecting them back to their own bodies, um, which had me thinking about this poem called Sojourn Camino by Kate Marshall Flaherty. Past switchbacks of scree and pebbled paths, we will walk through the Pyrenees to the sacred place where incense swings. Somewhere, we will leave a stone on a mound of rocks, walk and walk to the end of the sea, where we will throw our last shell back. The rhythm of footfall, femur, pelvis, and rocking sacrum will soothe and soften the knots deep in our thoughts, bodies, and bones. We hope this journey will bring us back to being the bipedal creatures we are, nomads on this land hunters of beauty, gatherers of stories, who will seek still to love. Even as we domesticate and cultivate, we are wanderers, our steps as numerous as the stars. We were made to walk softly on this earth, leave a trace imprint in sand soon washed away under other souls treading the same sacred roots. We are walking to arrive at the rhythm's beginning. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at FatJoy.life, on YouTube at YouTube.com slash at FatJoy, and on Patreon at Patreon.com slash FatJoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly Fat Joy Day, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.